Hello, everybody, and welcome to 30 Minute Thrive, your go-to podcast for anything and everything HR, powered by MRA, the Management Association. Looking to stay on top of the ever-changing world of HR? MRA has got you covered. We'll be the first to tell you what's hot and what's not. I'm your host, Sophie Bowler, and we are so glad you're here. Now it's time to thrive. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minute Thrive. We're happy you're here, and I'm excited to introduce to you our guest for today, and that's Jim Morgan. And we're going to be talking about the latest information on all things talent related for April's edition of MRA's Talent Report. So if you aren't familiar with the monthly talent report, Jim Morgan, our Vice President of Workforce Strategies, um, really gives an up-to-the-minute review of what's going on in the world of business with an emphasis on talent, which is based on input from CEOs, CFOs, and HR leaders from MRA's 3,000-plus member companies, 1,000 roundtable participants, and subject matter experts. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Jim. Great to be back again. Well, let's really start off by talking about what's happening in the recruiting and retention world. So I know that you really emphasize retention and retention strategies in this month's report. So what are you really seeing here? I'd say one of the the most interesting things that we're starting to see is, you know, historically companies have been pretty protective of their employees. And then even within a company, managers are pretty protective of their employees. So, you know, if, if I report to you and I say, hey, Sophie, I'd like to go work in this other department, you're probably thinking, I don't want you to go work in the other department. It took me five years to train you and all this time, you know, I don't want to have to go replace you. And companies are now starting to take a little bit um, bigger picture view of that with their hiring managers and their supervisors, that if the goal is to keep me and I want to go try something else, let me go try something else, because at least I'm still working in the company and uh, I'm still available to you as a talent, provided you think I'm a worthwhile employee and you want to keep me. And so we're seeing more uh, companies emphasize with their employees and do a little bit more of a sales job to say, here are the openings we have at the organization. And so you're starting to see people that maybe were on the facility floor saying, hey, I'd like to work in customer service or a machinist that now wants to go out on the road and fix things somewhere else. And as companies are telling these stories and as I hear them, you're sort of like, well, you know, does it always work? And for the most part, they're like, you know, if it works, it's fantastic. They're happy. And if it doesn't work, they go back to where they were before. They have a greater appreciation for wherever it is that they went. And they're still talking about it with the other people. So, for example, one company had the person on the facility floor that wanted to do customer service. And after about two weeks, he was like, this is not for me. I want to be back there. I want to be fixing stuff, making stuff, doing things and not talking to people. So he went back and did they invest some time in his training? Yes. Um, But he got to see a little bit more of the organization. He's happy. He likes what he's doing even more, having had to see something else. So I think one of the new things we're seeing is the goal is to keep them in the organization. And if we can keep them in the organization, we should be willing to let them have a variety of different types of experiences. So that's sort of a new one um, as companies really try to hang on to the best people that they've got. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of going back to talking about internships, um, I interned at MRA a couple of years ago, and I would just emphasize that point on um, really just being introduced to each department. Um, 
that was kind of a big aspect that made my internship so meaningful and successful was being introduced to each department and just getting a better idea of the company as a whole instead of just being kind of submerged in the marketing team for the whole summer. I was able to see um, what other leaders were doing and what other lines of businesses, how they work, and that just gave me a better picture of the company as a whole, which helped in my internship a lot. And then I would just add another um, aspect that I loved about the internship was just being involved with the senior team as well and being able to show them the work that I did throughout the summer. Um, and just kind of having the opportunity to have open conversation with them um, just made my work more meaningful, knowing that, hey, the senior team is involved and cares about what I'm doing too. Um, there's plenty of other things I can mention, but I would say those were very impactful um, for me on my internship and making it enjoyable and successful at the same time. Yeah, and I would say, you know, if if someone were to say, well, how do I build a successful internship program? I think you just, you know, good for us. Um, but I think you just hit on some of the ones that it really, it's access to people, you know, whether that's the vice president or the C-suite or whatever it is. It's variety, you know, like you just got done describing about having the opportunity to go to different departments. I saw the list of ideas for projects that we gave you before you started. I think not being bored is another big one where it's like, I can see where I'm digging into something. I actually get, you know, to to work on projects, to lead a team, to do those different things. Those are really what makes those internship um, experiences even, even better. And so, you know, we're really seeing now what you just described, both in internships and in onboarding, where, you know, companies from a best practice point of view will rotate people through that. That's just, look, you might have come to our insurance company because you wanted to be in an actuary, but we're going to spend the first six months or year with you spending a month in benefits, a month as an actuary, a month in customer service, a month in sales, and let you see the whole organization because maybe actuary isn't what you want to do for the rest of your life. And now we've exposed you to some different things. So making that experience one that I think you just described, um, especially with a internship, apprenticeship, co-op, whatever it might be, um, that is an incredible retention tool, whether it's trying to sell an intern like you to continue to work with us, or even a new employee who's, you know, maybe trying to spread their wings a little bit and, and look around. Mm -hmm. Any other types of trends you're seeing here? And I know on your talent report, you had um, the idea that mentors play just a big role in internships and emerging leaders and stuff like that. So I think that's also a good point to touch on just having that person to lean on when you first start at a company or maybe having a mentor in various different departments, like you said. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, that? and I think we, you know, we're seeing mentors that traditional, this is the person I can get advice from and things like that. We're seeing companies also maybe add a buddy who may not have the experience and the, you know, the long in the tooth person who's been there forever and knows everything. But they're the friend who can just say, be careful when you go into this meeting because here's what usually happens or here's the history on that just to give you a heads up. That becomes another really important person in that person's career. And you're seeing companies now look at you walked into the marketing department at MRA that we're saying, all right, six or seven other people in the marketing department, part of your job 
is to make sure Sophie has a really good experience here for the next three months. So your job also is check in on her, ask her how she's doing, make sure she's got projects, make sure she's happy. And so all of those things really just, you know, surrounding Sophie, the intern, with a buddy, a mentor, and a team, that makes a huge difference in terms of what your experience is like and, you know, in those three or four months that you spent here. Absolutely. And another topic I'd like to dive into is your talent thinking section. So this month you talked about being cared for at work and how that affects employee productivity, loyalty, and retention. So can you expand on your findings there? Yeah, this one has been pretty interesting too, as you're talking to people. Part of it is pandemic. Um, part of it is the influx of younger workers, but companies are starting to really understand what they're missing out on, that wanting the self of belonging and walking into a remote workplace, a hybrid workplace, I'm not, you know, not going to make an argument to say which one's right and which one's wrong, but if it's a first job for someone and they're walking in and the mentor isn't there all the time or the team isn't there all the time, there's a little bit of isolation, I think, that that's going on. And, you know, people who are onboarded without ever meeting people in person and have worked there for six months and still haven't met their boss in person. Those are really conscious efforts now by companies to say, if this is how we're going to operate, because we have to be remote in order to attract talent, but we're also attracting talent for the first time. And do they feel like they've got a support network? Do they feel like they've got people to go to? Because a buddy in person who can take you out for lunch is different than a buddy that you're setting up a, a Zoom call with and hoping you can talk to them for 15 or 20 minutes. You're not, you're not um, having the opportunity to experience the same things at the same time, see the th same things at the same time. And you know that, do I have a friend at work? Do I have a buddy and a mentor at work? Do I have the person that's my, my real go-to? Um, that's really become an issue with um, remote workplaces, uh, maybe people that are on some days off others that how do we make that connection and we have to do it purposefully because it's not just going to happen because everybody's in the office and we bump into each other now. So again, that that becomes another human resources hiring manager team thing that says, all right, Sophie's going to be here and she may not see everybody all the time. How do we make the connections? How do we consciously get everybody together or have an outing or build project teams that are cutting across? So that people do have a chance to feel like I know people now. They they know me. They like me. We get to do things. We share common interests. That all adds to the experience at work as well. Mm -hmm, for sure. And kind of going off of that, talking about getting everybody together and talking. You also mentioned conversation starting spaces in the talent report. So can you give some examples of what this means and what companies are doing with this? Yeah, you know, and I think this is a good follow-up to the last one that if everybody's not here and you don't have as many bump into each other's and you don't have as many in-person, you know, when you think of all the in-person meetings, if you're one of the first people there and somebody else is there early, we'll strike up a conversation about something, you know, and you'll learn something or somebody will hang around afterwards. So we don't have those. So how do we create these places where people are going to sit there for a couple of minutes and have to have a conversation. And so is that over a ping pong table or a foosball table where, all right, let's both take five minutes. We'll have a little game. And while we're playing, we'll learn something about each other. Um, a company's got a garden out back and they've got a gardening group now that gets together on their lunch hour or before work. And so while they're gardening, they're learning from each other. 
um, a company that just sets up puzzles in some of their break rooms that just says, hey, while you're sitting in here, you're walking by, could put a couple pieces in. And if you're there for five or six minutes, you're going to strike up a, you know, you're going to find out who the other puzzle lovers are. And so you're going to have that to talk about. So they're just, they're trying to create places where there's a little bit of lingering to maybe replace some of the bumping into each other, water cooler meeting type things that they want to encourage folks to, to know each other and to get to know each other. And so that means you might have to consciously say, how do we get people to stop somewhere for a couple of minutes and actually talk to each other? And that, it sounds kind of crazy, but yeah. you can also see how some of these things work where it's like, if I see a puzzle, I'm stopping to make a couple of pieces. And if you're there doing it too, I mean, hey, how was your weekend? What are you doing? What's up? Nice day today. What are you going to go do? And um, mm -hmm. hopefully that just creates a little more camaraderie in the office. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I love that idea. And I love that concept of doing that. Um, I know I have a friend at work that where they do kind of a um, game day Monday where one of their rooms is kind of filled with the puzzles and card games and each Monday they have like a 15 minute card game kind of competition okay. so it brings everybody in the room um, kind of starts off their week in a fun way and I'm sure there's conversations going on too so yeah we and we had another company that just had a huge whiteboard in their in their staff cafeteria lounge lunchroom and people just put a question up there each day that Who's your favorite Disney character? And people start drawing pictures of people and they put theirs up there. What was your first car? And, oh, my first car was a Ford Pinto. And somebody says, you know, those cars used to explode. Oh, yeah. And they just, you know, even if it's a conversation on a whiteboard, but you start, who's a car person? Who's a Disney person? Who's a whatever person? And again, you've just created more opportunities for people to share common interests. Yep, I've seen that too. And I, I think the whiteboards are a fun idea. <laughs> Um, the kind of switching gears here and talking more about now C-suite level, what are leaders up to now? We've talked about this, I know, before, but the, the visibility of the C-suite people of being out on the floor, making the rounds through the office, knowing whose birthday it is, whose anniversary it is, it's really become a priority and part of a day that even if I, as the CEO, CFO, CHRO, whatever, think I got to than to walk through the facility. They're really starting to see that I'm gonna pick up at least two or three tidbits of information while I'm out there. I'm gonna be seen as more approachable. I'm not behind, not down this hallway and in my, in my office with the door closed. I'm part of this. I can ask questions of people. I can stop at, a, at one of the cells on the factory floor and say, what are you seeing? What's happening? What's going on? And I'm probably feel unvarnished truth from people so the visibility of people knowing that they can talk to me and maybe learning some things along the way, um, that one has really gotten people's attention. And, you know, to the point where they'll put it on their calendar at 10 o'clock, I'm going for a 10 minute walk through the place and they're going to know they're going to see me. Um, and we had this conversation with the HR department, too, which was interesting because so many people thought, oh, my gosh, if HR is walking around, what's going on, you know? They're standing outside my desk because I mean I'm being fired. What are they doing on the facility floor? And the HR departments are starting to realize that we have to be out there more often. So when we are out there, people aren't freaking out thinking, oh, my gosh, 50 people must be like, let go because HR is out here. No, they're out there because they're just trying to see what's happening. And so being conscious about let's make sure they know we're here. You know, we're not just back there doing forms or making decisions. We're part of the group. So 
a lot more visibility, both from the C-suite and from the HR folks. Um, lots of discussions around um, chat GBT and artificial intelligence and what do you do with that? And the range is everywhere from shut it down to, well, let's embrace it and see what's going to happen. And it's really interesting as companies are starting to experience it um, because it can do so much, but on its own, it probably can also be dangerous like everything else. And so companies are trying to figure out how do we use that artificial intelligence to make what we write, make our content better, but not just say, well, if I just push the button that says create a content piece on FMLA in Illinois, and I just expect it to give me everything and say, all right, send that out to our 3,000 members, that's, you know, you're getting a little risky there. And in some cases, you have people who get a little lazy there who just say, oh, well, there it is. All I've got to do is turn around and send it out. But if you use it for, hey, I'm trying to write this marketing piece for whatever it is, and I can talk about these are the these are what it does. This is why it's good for us. And I can put in some questions. I might be able to get back some things. It's like, hey, part of that is really good. Or how does that line up with what I wrote? And are we on the same page? And are people expecting the same things? So right now, I think it's okay. Let's feel this out. Where you know where do we weigh in? What's the good? What's the bad? But I think like everything else with technology, it's not perfect on its own but it's got some real pluses and how do we as an organization try to figure some of that out? So that one is on people's minds and they're trying to figure out where does that fit into everything that we do at our organization? Yeah, we just launched a LinkedIn poll on that actually. Okay. EPT, it's so hard to say. <laughs> um, and it's just interesting to see, you know, like what companies are, are using it as a tool. Some companies haven't even heard of it yet and um, so yeah, we're kind of digging around with that. Yeah, well, that was good. <laughs> but how about anything else technology-wise? I know you touched on cybersecurity plans. Yeah, so we had a couple of roundtables and brought in some people to talk about cybersecurity. Um, that's top of mind for everyone, you know, and everyone's going to you know multiple authorization to make sure that you know we we've got some checks and balances in place. But so much of it, as you you know, there's a lot that can be done. But so much of it is just the blocking and tackling and, and your, your people being vigilant around, you know, update your computer. So everything is, you know, we've got all the patches that are supposed to be there. Don't just use your last name or your birthday as your password. That's probably one of the first, you know, your dog's name. All of those things that you commonly get asked as your security questions, you know, just be a little bit smart than that, smarter than that. Don't use the public Wi-Fi. Use your VPN so you've got that secure connection at your workplace. Don't just open stuff. You know, look at it. See what the email address looks like. Are there misspellings? So much of it is just an education of our folks to just say, geez, don't, don't do dumb things, you know. Um, and then some of it is, you know, is company-wide where, okay, we've got to do some training. We've got to make sure our IT department is on top of things. We've got to make sure we've got a good cyber security insurance plan. Um, we've got to test our incident report. Let's pretend something happens. What gets shut down? Where do we go? You know, how do we get our backup? Is our backup protected so that the, whoever the bad actors are don't destroy our backup and our current data? So again, it's one of those where a lot of it is happening, you know, falling back on the CTO 
to say, what's the plan? What are we doing? What's happening? But so much of it is it's going to get in because somebody got lazy or somebody did something silly and said, well, this looks okay. I think I'll click on it. And the next thing you know, there's something into your system and we're off and running. So training of employees to make sure that they're following the rules. And yep, I hate having to log in every time I go someplace. I hate having to do this, you know, multi-factor authorization and all the rest of it. But there's a reason for it. Um, and I think people are starting to realize that pretty good reasons. Well, and you can make some of it kind of fun. Like I know here at MRA, we do the phishing alerts where you have to kind of report if you think an email is a phishing, a spam email. And if you get it right, you have all this confetti that pops yeah, up. Exactly. <laughs> you can make it fun. And if you get it wrong, then you got to go through a class. To exactly. Explain to you why you should have known better. Yeah. But how about some of the top um, creative HR strategies that you've been seeing? Um, got a handful of these this month. Um, you know, on the candidate experience, um, you know, people are getting, they're feeling a little bit better about finding candidates. It's still not, oh, we had 100 employees, you know, 100 people apply and we'll pick the best five. We're not anywhere near that. But we're getting some better candidates and companies and hiring managers, I think, are starting to realize that, we may not get the 72 credentials that we asked for, but if we've got somebody with a good attitude that's got a work ethic, that's got a little bit of experience, that gets what it is that we're trying to do, we're going to go with them, you know, and we can train them up on some other things. And so I think HR departments are really helping to educate their supervisors and their hiring managers. Look, you may not get everything, but if you get a good person who's going to work hard, we're going to get there. So I'm not going to worry so much that they may not have these six other things you asked for. We can we can teach those. So people really looking for for fit and then sort of teaching um, the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Onboarding we've been talking about forever, um, but really talked about getting team support, getting the buddy, getting the mentor, and approaching onboarding from a fun point of view versus a let's cram all this stuff in there as fast as we possibly can and make them do all of this stuff in a day or two. Let's, you know, if they don't need it all in three days, let's spread it out and make this a little bit more enjoyable. And let's show them what the whole first 90 days maybe looks like. So you come in the first day and we say, here's our finances and this is what we do and this is how we budget and whatever. And you leave there thinking, holy Moses, I'm not sure I held on to any of that. But then you look at your 90 day onboarding and you see, oh, thank goodness in two weeks, I sort of get a primer on our finances and I get another thing three weeks later on whatever. Now I'm not in a grand mall panic about, oh my gosh, I hope I can remember all these people's names. I can look at it and be like, oh good, I get to be with them again later on. So people are taking a very strategic approach to their onboarding and saying, what does the whole process look like? So the candidate doesn't show up each day wondering, okay, what am I going to have to do today? They see what's going to happen and that makes them um, just a little bit more at ease. Mm -hmm. The emerging leaders, um, again, making sure that those people are being identified on good criteria with a game plan in place that when I tell you, Sophie, congratulations, you're one of our emerging leaders, one of our high potentials, I can then follow that up and say, you've shown these characteristics. This is what we're going to do with you. Here's the training we're going to provide. Here's the career path that we're trying to put in place for you. Here are some opportunities that you're going to get now. And it's not just, hey, way to go, you're an emerging leader. Okay, great, what does that mean? But it's it's something that you're like, okay, I've been identified. 
People have recognized what I've done. It's been announced. People know. Um, so it's a big deal. And letting people know that it's a big deal. And it means it's got some things behind it, whether that's advancement or increase in compensation or benefits or responsibility. Um, it really it really means something. Mm -hmm. We hear all the time about how people don't quit their job or quit the company, they quit their manager. And one company said, you know, we're very aware of that. We think we've got really good managers, but not all managers are created equal. And what they've been trying to do is you come into our organization and rather than you just have one manager that you report to, we make sure you get a chance to meet three or four or five different managers. So if by opportunity or by fate or by whatever, you might be a really good match with your boss. You might not be, it might be a personality thing, it might be all kinds of different things. We want you to see a variety of different leadership styles. So if you're thinking about going, um, you've looked around a little bit and you're like, you know, I do like my job and I do like this place. I've got a little bit of an issue with my manager. We can begin to experience that. We can talk about that and either fix that relationship or at least you know, well, there's other people around here who approach things different. And maybe you're a step-by-step -step person and this person's kind of a big thinker or the opposite. It might just be, you know, there's a better place for you in the organization and you've seen it. So I'm not going to just quit this manager now. I'm going to see if there's something else I can do. So those are a few things in the HR area that um, seen in the last month or so. Yeah. So as we begin to wrap up here, there were there was some research summarized from executive networks, which found that a lot of workers, so HR leaders, business leaders, frontline leaders and workers are saying that coming to the office is not commute worthy. So any comments on this <laughs> or no comments? Commute worthy. I like that. You know, I think what they were getting at was um, I'm not going to come in, especially if my, if you can imagine your commute is a little bit of a pain, whether it's traffic or distance or, or just screws up your whole day for getting kids to school or whatever it might be. Um, you have had an opportunity now to not have to have that hassle. And there are, you know, legitimate reasons for going remote and there's legitimate reasons for being in the office. But from an employer's point of view, to make that commute worthy of your time, it's got to have a purpose to it. If I can do exactly what I need to do today at home or at work, and work means 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, driving back and forth, why would I do that if, I, if there isn't a reason? Now, is there an important meeting? Do I have to be a part of something? Are there people coming to the company? That's a big part of it, and that might be part of the culture, and that's tough. That's the organization, and you have to be there you know, for that. But organizations are looking at like, how do we become a magnet? How do we make this a place that you're willing to drive 30 minutes to come here because it's fun, it's interesting. I like the people I'm working with. I've got some team meetings set up. We do have some conversation spaces and I wanna do a puzzle for five minutes today. I don't know what it is, but what makes what makes the office look as, tra as attractive as going to the Starbucks down at the corner. And so I think the commute worthy is as an employer, I can say, look, this is the way we want to function. And you decided to work here. And as long as I was up front with you, that commute is part of what you do. But it sure changed your attitude if you're coming in knowing it's pizza day or it's gene day or it's something else day. And it's going to be kind of fun and relaxed. 
or the board's coming in. It's going to be really exciting because we're going to talk about new ideas. Um, we just have to be the magnet for attraction. We have to just become a place that we want people to come to, and then it's it's a non-issue. Yeah, for sure. So you've got a chart on the talent report too that shows keys to organizational success in 2023. So can you share what's on that chart? Yeah, the, and this was the executive networks too. And they were just looking at, you know, what's everybody focusing on um, for the next year? And it's sort of interesting because there's probably four or five things here that are all pretty close together. And I don't think anybody anything is going to shock anybody, but upskilling the workforce, what are our people doing and how can we make them even better at what they're doing? Enabling that new ways of working, whether that's remote or hybrid or in person, how do we create environments where whatever we're trying to set up is what people are looking for, and so that becomes a plus, not a not a minus in terms of how people um, go to work. Addressing employee well-being and mental health, how do we make this a place that's supportive? Um, making sure that they're utilizing our EAP program, um, knowing that the HR department is there for them. You know, how do we make this uh, a good place for them to go and work? Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Are we doing what we need to do to make sure we are welcoming everyone who wants to come work for us, whether that's our policies, our approach, whatever it might be, um, looking at that. And then talent attraction and retention. You know, like I said earlier, I think it's gotten better. I don't think it's quite as big of a headache for people as it has been. But people have been through it now and they're like, okay, there's certainly not an abundance of people and I don't want to go through what we've had to go through the last couple of years. So let's keep the pipeline moving. Let's have people available and let's make sure we're doing everything we can to hang on to the folks that that we've got that we know are good and we don't want to lose. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Last question here. Can you give us a sneak peek on what May's talent report will be on? I can tell you, but don't tell anybody else because it's top okay. secret. Um, we're going to dive deep into emerging leaders and those high potentials, those people that you have identified. And we're going to kind of go through what does a really good emerging leader program look like? Because what we're seeing is a lot of companies are saying, yep, we've got emerging leaders. We've got high potentials. What are you doing about it? Well, we've identified them. Okay. Do they know that? What was the criteria? What are you doing with them? And we're just seeing a lot of people are at the, yeah, that's a good idea. We should be doing something about that. Um, we're going to go through sort of how do you set all that up? How do you make that happen? What are the steps to do that? And quite frankly, where are the ways that an organization like um, MRA can help support companies in that type of growth? Because they're going to be critical in the next five to 50 years. <laughs> great. Looking forward to it. So I know you kind of, you gave a great overview today on the April talent report, but do you have any last thoughts or pieces of advice you want to end with? I think um, people are starting to, like I said, feel a little bit more relaxed. I, my advice for this month would be don't get too relaxed. Um, we might have a good month or two or, hey, look, we've got everybody we need and whatever. I would still make sure there are people in the wings and you're still focusing every day on how do you keep the ones you've already got because um, we still have a, a numbers problem, especially in the upper Midwest. So don't get too complacent with your talent attraction and retention. All right, we won't. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the podcast today, Jim, and sharing this month's talent report. 
Um, I encourage you all to share this episode, leave a comment and review, and consider joining MRA if you aren't a member already. We do have all the resources in the show notes, so make sure to check those out. Um, we also included Jim's LinkedIn profile and his bio, so you can get in touch with him easily there. Otherwise, thank you for tuning in today, and thanks, Jim, for all the great information. And My pleasure, and I hope everybody joins us at our HR conference in Wisconsin, uh, virtually or in person, uh, which is on May 10th, and then a month later in June, we're up in Minnesota, so hope you can join us for that as well. Absolutely. Good plug. Thank you. <laughs> and we will see you next week. And that wraps up our content for this episode. Be sure to reference the show notes where you can sign up to connect for more podcast updates. Check out other MRA episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, make sure to follow MRA's 30-Minute Thrive so you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next Wednesday to carry on the HR conversation.